So what do an early 19th century itinerant universalist preacher and a late 20th century retired Air Force officer have in common? See what you think. This is Richard Denton to talk about Reverend Hosea Ballou. Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Denton. Uh, Ima Uuru. <laughs> I'm a UU. Are you? <laughs> I am. Jose Ballou was a Unitarian, I mean, was a Universalist minister who was most influential in shaping the theology of Universalism as we understand it today. His book, A Treatise on Atonement, is vital to any study of the history of our movement. He was born in Richmond, New Hampshire on April 30, 1771, and was the 11th child of Maturin and Lydia Ballou. Although he initially followed his father, a Calvinist Baptist preacher, in that path, young Hosea was drawn to the teaching of universal uh, salvation by a preacher named Caleb Rich, and by his own reading of St. Paul in the Bible, in uh, chapter of Romans, chapter 5, 18, which reads, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, uh, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Put another way, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight, and gives them life. At 20 years old, Hosea Ballou became an itinerant preacher and a teacher in 1791, traveling around Massachusetts and Vermont. In 1795, he married Ruth Washburn, also introduced to him by Caleb Rich, and they would go on to have 13 children, and the nine who survived infancy, of the nine who survived infancy, two became preachers, and one a well-known author. With his treatise on atonement in 1805, Ballou reformulated the doctrine of atonement, arguing that finite humans were incapable of offending, of offending an infinite God. In the treatise, he said, the atonement by Christ was the effect and not the cause of God's love to man. The contrary belief that the great Jeho- Jehovah was offended by his creatures to the degree that nothing but the death of Christ or the endless misery of mankind could appease his anger is an idea that has done more injury to the Christian religion than the writings of all its opposers for many centuries. Ballou adopted the radical position that human beings are rewarded for good behavior or punished for their misdeeds in this life. At death, they are transformed by the power of God's love as they enter eternity. His work initiated a movement known as ultra-universalism. Prior to the treatise, most universalists preached some sort of punishment or correction after death prior to being restored to salvation. Ballou opposed these restorationists, as they were called, and rejected altogether the idea of hell or any punishment after death. He was a strong advocate of of the use of reason in biblical interpretation and was also among the first to reject the doctrine of the Trinity. And as early as 1795, 
preached universalism on a Unitarian basis, as we see in his passage from the treatise. I contend that if he be the Son of God, and he is the Son of himself and his own Father, then he is no more the Son of God than God is his Son. To say, that, to say of two persons exactly of the same age that one of them is the real Son of the other is to confound good sense. The treatise is filled with contentious, with lots of comparisons and contentions compared to this one. Easy for me to say. <laughs> there were contentious class differences between Unitarians and Universalists that made for strained relations initially. Universalism was a charismatic, dissenting religion among the farming and rural uh, working classes, while Unitarianism had a solid base in the oldest most established congregational churches in the larger urban centers of the kind where one family had the same pew for a hundred years. Ballou publicly opposed the government practice of standing order churches who received public funds via, that were collected via governmental church tax that was often paid for by churches that didn't get public funds. In Massachusetts, the standing order church was Unitarian. Though we think of our movement today as solidly favoring the separation of church and state, it was Universalists who initially pushed for that separation. Often up against strong opposition from the Unitarians who were benefiting from that standing order status. Unitarians such as William Ellery Channing also had a problem with Ballou, uh, Ballou's brand of ultra-universalism. Um, Unitarians were preaching what was essentially salvation by character to attain one ultimate salvation by living a moral life, whereas Ballou believed that all were already saved, irrespective of character, and the joy of being the children of such a perfect, all-loving God was the reason humans should strive for a moral life. As a passage from one of his sermons to a Universalist convention illustrates this, your child has fallen into the mire, and its body and garments are defiled. You cleanse it and array it in clean robes. The question is, do you love your child because you have washed it? Or did you wash it because you loved it? Ballou spent his final years in Boston where he published the Universalist magazine and accepted a call to ministry at the Second Universalist Society. He wrote against capital punishment and against slavery and always held the belief that when humanity came to recognize God's eternal love for all his children, all evil will be eradicated and the world would be transformed. And we here have the opportunity to lead and continue that transformation. Um, he died after a 35 year in the ministry on 7th of June, 1852, at 81 years old. So he was very important in our Universalist uh, beginnings, and it continues to do so now. Uh, this information was gathered uh, from a biography of Jose Ballou, which was written by Ernest Cassara in the Dictionary of Unitarian Universalist Biography, an online resource of the Unitarian Universalist History and Heritage Society. Uh, the rest of the story and tons of information about other people, places, and things that were instrumental in, the, in our struggles 
and foundations of our movement can be found at uud.org. And a special thanks to Susan, who helped me gather this information and uh, helped me put it together. Thank you. And I'll next bring up Steve Caldwell. Steve is a member of our church. He also happens to be my husband, and so I'm rather fond of him. Um, he is also a trainer for the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Education Program, which was put together by the Unitarian Universalist and the United Church of Christ. He's probably going to say more about that, so I'm not going to. But the, the person that he has chosen to speak about was Colonel James Barrett. Some of you may remember in 1994, he was um, shot outside of an abortion clinic in Pensacola where he was serving as an escort. And Steve is going to tell you more about Colonel Barrett. Good morning. Who has heard of Reverend James Reeb? A smattering of hands out there. Before Susan's introduction today, who had heard of uh, James Barrett, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Air Force, retired? Before Susan's introduction today. Okay, one. Okay. Uh, well, Reverend Reeb was a famous Unitarian Universalist who made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life supporting racial justice back in 1965, and his death was instrumental in getting the civil rights laws passed in the 60s. Uh, James Barrett uh, is less well known, but you could think of him as being the James Reeb of reproductive justice in our denomination. Uh, James Barrett uh, was a combat aviator in World War II, serving in North Africa, served in the Korean War and the Vietnam War. He served in military assignments from 1941 until his retirement in 1969 in many locations, including, among others, Greenland, Saudi Arabia, Germany, and Japan. His post-military career included teaching middle school math and science classes. He was also a social justice activist and a dedicated volunteer in the Pensacola, Florida Unitarian Universalist Congregation, and he served on the congregation's ministerial committee. Jim worked with zero population growth, manning their booth at fairs and community events, he was a volunteer with Escambia AIDS Services and Education, a community organization in Pensacola. He was a lifetime member of the Pensacola Retired Officers Association and served on their scholarship committee. He was active in the Pensacola Parents, Family, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, or PFLAG, and served on the board of a local gay and lesbian publication in Pensacola. He was a friend and advocate of lesbian and gay rights and was considered to be extended family by many in the gay and lesbian communities. Jim was a member and supporter of the National Organization for Women and served as a clinic escort volunteer for about 18 months at the Ninth Avenue Ladies Clinic in Pensacola, which was also the site of a Christmas abortion clinic bombing in 1984. Many years ago, 29 July 1994, which was a Friday morning, James Barrett, his wife June, were serving as escort volunteers at the Pensacola Clinic. Jim and June were in their pickup truck with Dr. John Britton as they approached the clinic. Paul Hill, a regular protester at the clinic, opened fire on Dr. Britton, Jim Barrett, and June Barrett with a shotgun. Dr. Britton and Jim Barrett were killed instantly. June Barrett was wounded, but she survived the shotgun attack, and she passed away in 2011. And just this, about the, the lack of uh, information about uh, Jim Barrett, it was easy to find pictures of Paul Hill on the Internet, 
The only picture we could find of Jim Barrett was his tombstone. And he's at Arlington, that's where he's at today. Lieutenant Colonel Barrett viewed his clinic escort work as an extension of his military service. His daughter commented after the shooting, my dad was a military man, and there's a stereotype of the military man that he's all about war. But dad taught me from the time I could understand that his primary mission was to keep the peace. That's what he was feeling the day he died. Lieutenant Colonel Barrett was also plain spoken about his clinic escort work. I spent my life doing my best for the security of my country and the people who live in it. Why should I stop now? And Jim's brother Reggie added, he loved to help people. If a woman needed help, he would help, and that's what he died for. Lieutenant Colonel Barrett's sacrifice is mentioned in our denominations our whole lives, grade, sexual, grade 7 through 9, sexuality education curriculum, is part of our shared Unitarian Universalist heritage, supporting reproductive justice work, starting in 1963 to the present day. Lieutenant Colonel Barrett's life and death should spur us on to continue with our denomination's current reproductive justice work. Uh, this type of work is our denomination's current steady action issue from, 19, from 2012 to 2014. And within the framework of reproductive justice, our congregations are across the nation are, are working against the cultural, political, economic, and structural constraints that limit a woman's access to health care and full reproductive choice. Reproductive justice is a much broader concept, con, uh, con, uh, concept than being reproductive choice. It uh, was developed by a coalition of women of color and promotes the right of all women to have children or not have children and to raise their children in healthy and safe environments. Reproductive justice does not isolate or pit one social issue against the other, rather it works to promote these rights across many areas including abortion rights and access, eradication of violence against women, comprehensive sexuality education, discrimination based on race, sexual orientation, and gender identity, economic justice, environmental justice, and immigration justice. Lieutenant Colonel Barrett's prophetic social witness touched on many of these reproductive justice issues, and we still have plenty of work to do today in our nation, our state, and our community. Thank you. Thank you, both of you, shining a light on one of the, the, the more well-known historical figures of our movement, but also one that we need to know better, Colonel Barrett. Um, whether with words and ideas or with actions or even his own body and his very life, both these men were living examples of prophetic witness daring to speak and to live by a truth that was more important to them than wide acceptance or even physical safety. In our relatively comfortable existence, no one has asked us to die for this faith, but for the safety and freedom that we continue to enjoy and that others should have, is it too much to ask that we live for it? Is it too much to ask that we recognize the voice that is ours and use it in defense of those with no voice of their own to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the sacred.